0: My name starts with an M, and I pick up things. What am I? And a little boy shouted and responded, and said, "A mother. A mother's job is never done. How wonderful would it be for a mother if uh, if she could collect time and a half for overtime?" Mothers are always working. they are always mothers. The job of, of a mother never ends. And today we have a, an opportunity to pause and reflect the meaning and influence that mothers have in our lives. Today the, the passage that we will, will be reading from is found in Exodus chapter 2. We'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 10. And the The theme of today's message is Mothers in the Story of Redemption. Mothers in the Story of Redemption, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through verse 10. Here's the word of the Lord for all of us today as we prepare our hearts and our minds to allow the Lord to speak to to each and every one of us. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds, along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse a baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of water. Amen. Well, let's pray for this word and for our hearts, that the Lord would speak to us on this Mother's Day. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that uh, you have given us your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, today we thank you for our mothers as well. Lord, I pray that you allow this passage, this story of in Scripture, the story of redemption, uh, portray to us the role that mothers have in the story that you have put together to redeem your people. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus and for His glory. Amen. Well, this story that we just read, the story of the birth of Moses, is found in the second book of of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is is the the name for the five books of Moses. And the main theme of the second book in the Pentateuch, the book of Exodus, really we get the glimpse of of the theme from the very title of the book. Exodus means deliverance, it means exit, it means getting out. And what's amazing about this book is that it starts with a a small-scale story of another deliverance. The the story of, of Exodus, the book of Exodus, begins with a story of Moses as he is delivered from death. The story of Exodus, the story of the people of God as they were taken out of slavery, as they were delivered from the angel of death, is begun, is commenced by another story. The story of the birth of Moses at the front end of this book of Exodus, the deliverance from death, the book that delivers people from death and slavery, we see the birth of Moses. And there's a few points, crucial points, as we see how this book of Exodus is is started, is, is, is begun for us. Even though God is not mentioned at all in this story that we just read, the very way this birth story is put together, We see God setting up this birth story, giving us a hint of what the mission of this child will be, because in the way He has to be delivered from death is a foreshadowing of His mission as He will be the Redeemer, the one whom God uses to redeem His people from death. But there's something else about the way this book starts, this birth story, is giving us a point that the one who will lead the escape from death and slavery must himself be rescued. The Redeemer, the one who will redeem his people from death and from slavery, must be himself redeemed. Uh, James uh, Plasteras, one of the uh, theologians of the Old Testament, has has said the following about Moses. Moses, the future Savior of Israel, must himself first be saved. Before he can be God's instrument in drawing out, he must himself be drawn out. His very life is a prophetic sign of the Exodus. But there's a third reason why this book commences, begins with the story of Moses and the way he, his birth came about. There's a third emphasis, and it's the following. In this story of the rescue of Moses, which is a foreshadowing of the mission that Moses will have in his life. Women play the major role. And not only women, but it's two mothers that play the key role in rescuing the life of this baby boy. It's two mothers that play the role of, of redeeming, of rescuing this child, this baby who was doomed to destruction. Hence, the title of this morning is Mothers in the Story of Redemption. Mothers in the Story of Redemption. And we'll look at that today at, at three brief points. Mothers in a culture of death. Mothers in the plan of redemption. And finally, we'll look at some implications for Christian mothers on Mother's Day. Mothers in a culture of death. This story is happening against the backdrop of a very evil plan. If you remember, Pharaoh became concerned that the Hebrew people grew larger and larger in influence in Egypt, and he had to make a plan of how he will keep the growth of these Hebrew people from expanding. So his plan has the following first stage. He devises a a plan of giving the Hebrew people more work, but the more work he gave them, the, grew, the, the larger they grew, the more numerically they grew. So he has to come up with a second second idea, and this idea is more evil, more secretive. He decides that the Hebrew boys have to die. So what's his plan? He, began, he, he contacts the midwives, and he orders a secret plan to the midwives to kill all the Hebrew boys as these midwives help the delivery of these Hebrew boys. But as we know the story, this plan fails. The midwives fear God more than they fear Pharaoh and they they do not comply with the command of Pharaoh. So what is the next stage in Pharaoh's command? He decides to make this this campaign of killing the Hebrew boys to make this campaign very public. And it tells us in, in chapter 1 verse 22, look at chapter 1 verse 22, Pharaoh then gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now think for a moment at what's happening. Think for a moment at the scenario, at the story. All Egypt had been recruited to destroy the male Hebrew boys, male Hebrew babies an entire culture an entire society a culture of death where an entire society was driven by this command now how did God decide to react to this command what did God have to say about this command that Pharaoh had given to kill to, to drown all the Hebrew boys all the Hebrew male babies well, fast forward with me a few chapters later, a few years later into the life of, of the Egyptian Empire, when the 10th plague hits Egypt. What is it that God decides to use as a final and most ferocious plague against Egypt? The death of the firstborn males of all the households of Egypt. Why the firstborn males of the Egyptians? Because they have decided to kill the male babies of the Hebrew people. You see, there's a sense in which God does not play games. His judgment may not be immediate, but His judgment will come. And I don't think it's coincidental that God's final blow to the Egyptian empire is to decide to take out the male firstborn of Egypt. But in the meantime, between the the, the decision of the the king, of the pharaoh, to kill all the Hebrew male boys, and God's final judgment to Egypt, between that, because folks, by the way, oftentimes God's judgment does not come immediately after our wrongdoing. In the meantime, God has an intermediary plan. There's something God works out so that Pharaoh's plan is not fully carried out. And whom, God, whom is it that God uses as, as a way to move towards that final blow? Whom is it, who is it God is using to prepare the plan, to prepare the stage so that God will bring his judgment? Two mothers. Two mothers in this story are used to thwart thwart the the command of Pharaoh, to counteract, to go against what what Pharaoh had used, what Pharaoh had decreed. The entire story that we have read today in Exodus chapter 2 has to be read against this backdrop of a culture of death. God's plan of redemption had such a frail beginning. The story of God redeeming His people out of slavery, out of death, began with the story of the birth of Moses. With a helpless child, in a situation when the entire society was geared and focused on killing babies, on killing boys, this child, although he was helpless, the power of the world seemed so impressive, it decreed the death of thousands of babies, Yet God, in his sovereign plan, God's redemptive plan, he's using, he's calling out mothers to rescue one baby who will lead the people out of captivity. You see, friends, God uses mothers in a culture of death. God uses mothers to bring about life in a culture of death. God uses mothers to preserve life in a culture of death. Mothers, it is easy sometimes to feel overwhelmed by the powers of this world, by the schemes of the media, by the schemes of entertainment, by the schemes of society who want to separate you and your influence from your children. Don't let the world intimidate you. Don't let the world tell you that you have no power in influencing your children. In, this, in the way the story of Exodus begins, God gives us a picture that He is using mothers to begin the process, the story of redemption, by using two mothers. Well, let's look at, at mothers in the plan of redemption. How is it that God uses Two mothers to save the life of one baby in a culture of so much death, in, in, a, in a setting in which everybody was geared, was focused on killing babies. Let's look at two mothers. The first spotlight is on Moses' mother. Now, this text does not give us the name of the mother. Actually, the te- text does not give us the name of the father either. We're not even told the name of the sister or the name of Pharaoh's daughter. There's only one name given in this whole story. It's at the end of the story, in verse 10. Because the emphasis is going to be on this one child whose name means drawn out to prepare the stage for his mission in life. But if we read the book of Exodus, we'll find out in chapter 6, the name of the mother of Moses is Jochebed. And look at the way the way this story unfolds. Verse 2, when this mother, when Yokebed, saw that the child was a fine child. Now this is a very interesting phrase. We could use the vernacular. When she saw that this child was pretty, when she saw this child was cute, what she saw this child was handsome. But the Hebrew phrase is a phrase that points back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. It is the exact same phrase, the exact same verbiage that God uses every time at the end of the day he looks at his creation and he saw it good. There's a sense in which Yokebed knew the language of creation. There's a sense in which Yokebed looked at this child and she saw that this child was good. And because of that she she fears the Lord, and she decides to hide Him. Now, it was not simply a maternal instinct that she saw this child was so pretty, so cute, and said, oh my goodness, this child cannot, cannot die. It was not just a maternal instinct. If we read the rest of Scripture, and especially the book of Hebrews, it gives us a point of what was it in this mother's heart and life that led her to decide to hide this baby. In Hebrews 11.23, the author of Hebrews says, By faith, Moses' parents hit him for three months after he was born. In other words, it was not simply the maternal instinct to protect a child's life. It was her faith in God that inla- enabled her to do so. And this is the first characteristic of Yochebed. Yochebed is a mother of faith. She was a woman of faith. For her, though, Faith was not that what she did only on Sundays. See, of course not. It was a Hebrew lady. Synagogue was not even, the Sabbath wasn't even you know, instituted. Here's the point. Even though we know from Hebrews that she acted in faith, that this was an act of faith, if we read just the account in Exodus, there's no mention of faith. There's no mention of spiritual things. So what is the conclusion? What can we draw out of it? Here's the conclusion. Here's the principle. For Kebed, faith worked so much and affected so much her daily lifestyle that you can look at her and all you could see was just a daily lifestyle. But it was a daily lifestyle that was so embedded, that was so affected by her faith. It's not that faith was absent. It's The emphasis is on the daily implications that faith had in this woman's life. Jochebed was a woman of faith. She was a mother of faith. But not only was she a woman of faith, she was a wise woman. She was a wise mother. Look at verse 3. But when she could hide him no longer. Now here's a question. Hebrews 11 tells us that for three months, Yokebed hid this baby by faith. It was by faith that she hid him. What happened at the end of three months? Did she just run out of faith? That she had to do something? By no means. She realized at three months that something else had to be done and it's not because she didn't have enough faith quite the opposite her faith was so strong that she was it led her to wisdom it led her to realize that there is a decision of wisdom that needs to take place right here and right now that she needs to act and her action was look at verse 3 the second part she got up a papyrus basket for him coated it with tar and pitch then she placed the child in it and put, among the re- put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Friends, this was just as much an act of faith as her act of hiding the baby for three months. But it was not just an act of faith; it was an act of wisdom. You say, how? Why? What's the point here? On one side, on one side, Yokebed. And here's the wisdom. On one side, Yokebet is following the king's command. She is taking this baby to the Nile. Remember verse 22 in, in chapter 1? The, the command of Pharaoh was to drown all the male babies into the Nile. And think for a moment, what is what is Yo-Kibet doing? She is taking this child to the very medium that was supposed to be the death, the penalty. for killing her boy. But there's something that happens in Yochabet's mind. There's something that Yochabet does so that the medium that was supposed to be the the context of death for her baby is actually becoming the means for saving her baby's life. What made the difference? It was a basket. It was a basket. She got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Now, here's here's an interesting idea. The Hebrew word here for tar, for papyrus basket, is the same Hebrew word used in Genesis 6 when it's referring to the Ark of Noah. The Tevah. How did Yochebed, how did did she know, who, who gave her the idea? of of coming up with this ingenious plan. Imagine Yochebed taking the baby to the Nile and all her Egyptian neighbors are saying finally she gets it. Finally she's complying with the command. But in her mind there's something else. In her plan there's something else. Who told her? The scriptures were have not yet been written. She did not, had she known of, of Noah and the ark, we don't know. Perhaps It was told from generation to generation. But who told her? This was a brilliant idea, a genius idea. It was a wisdom idea. You see, friends, it's very possible, and the text does not tell us how Yolkibet came up with this this idea, but it's very possible that the faith she had to hide that child for three months was the faith that led this mother to pray and ask God, for means for a way in which she could preserve this baby's life and it's very possible that that God acted the way he always acts the way it is told to us in James chapter 1 verse 5 if anyone lacks wisdom let him ask it from God who gives generously but let whoever acts so ask by faith is it possible that way before James 1 5 was ever written Yochebed was practicing this principle about trusting in God about having faith in God and asking God for a way to protect this child's life and it is a wisdom of God that God had given this mother the means the idea of how to put this baby how to create that basket and where to put it you see friends we see in Yochebed the second principle not only was she a mother of faith but she was a mother of wisdom. A mother of faith, a mother of wisdom. This was Yochabed. And when when we think about about this spotlight that is given to this woman right here, we don't know where the father was. We only see a picture of the father in the story in verse 1, and then it's like he he completely is put to the side in the background. Everything in this story about, is about the, the way this woman has reacted, a woman of faith, a woman of wisdom. But then the, the story moves on, and, and it goes to the second mother, the adoptive mother. And the story gets to the point in which Pharaoh's daughter finds a basket. And uh, there are three things that we're told about Pharaoh's daughter. In verse 6, first of all, she immediately recognizes that this is a Hebrew boy. She knows that. And then this, the second thing we're told in verse 6 is that she, had, she felt sor- sorry for the baby. And then finally, there's a third thing that we're told in verse 10. It's this adoptive mother that names the child. And it's, the, it's Pharaoh's daughter that gives, gives a name to this child, meaning she is really adopting this baby. But there, between verse 6 and verse 10, there are three ironies that are happening. There there are some details that are just absolutely mind-boggling. Look at the first one in verse 7 through through 9. The adoptive mother ends up asking the natural mother to nurse and care for her natural baby. Then look at the second irony of this story. The natural mother will be paid by the adoptive mother to nurse and care for this baby. And here's the third one and the the biggest one. The one paying to protect this child's life is a daughter of the king who ordered to kill this child. The spotlight is on Pharaoh's daughter. But it's not on her character of having compassion or having, being the one who gives name to this child. The spotlight is on the ironies that, God is, is that, that we see that God is setting up in the way this story unfolds. There's no way any human being could come up with such a plan. There's no way that a mother in her own strength, in her own wisdom would know how to prepare things, how to prepare the details, not only so the child's life will be protected, but that she will end up nursing and caring for the baby, that she will get paid for it, and the one paying for the job will be the very daughter of the king who ordered the death of this baby. That's only the wisdom of God. And the spotlight, the second spotlight on the second adoptive mother is not on Pharaoh's daughter, is on the wisdom of the one who had orchestrated all of it. And this leads us back to the first mother, because it was the faith, it was the faith of Yochebed, who trusted God, who prayed to God, although the text does not give us that hint. We just assume it. Because that's what faith leads us to do. Faith always leads us to prayer, leads us to trusting God, leads us to, to give ourselves to God and ask God in His wisdom to show us a way to rear the children. It is in the wisdom of God that He revealed to Yochebed what she should do, how she should do it, so that at the proper time, God will reveal His wisdom in the birth of this child, in the way to preserve the life of this child. That's how the story of the exodus is begun that's how the story of redemption begins with two mothers a natural mother and an adoptive mother but there is a third mother in the story of redemption that I want to point to you to you uh, I want to point you this morning to the story of Moses and the birth of Moses And then his mission of the exodus, as important as it is in the life of the people of God, was only a foreshadowing of a greater exodus. And the birth of Moses was a foreshadow of the birth of another Redeemer, the true Redeemer, who will lead his people out of captivity. The birth story of the second Redeemer has a number of resemblances, with the birth story of the first Redeemer. And there are four resemblances that I want you to think about. The first one, both stories have to do with the birth of a young male child whose life is threatened by the ruling monarch at first secretly but later in open hostility. Resemblance number two, and and these resemblances are, are pointed to me by one uh, an important uh, theologian of the Old Testament, Brother Childs. He said the second resemblance is that both stories have to do with a child who is rescued in the nick of time, but the other children are slaughtered in the vain effort to remove the threat of one child. Think of it, Moses and Jesus. Matthew's Gospel is especially careful to connect the birth of Jesus to the story of the Exodus. When the angel tells the parents of Jesus to go to Egypt to rescue the, ch- the life, to protect the, the life of this baby, Matthew says, so that he gives, so that the prophecy will be fulfilled that out of Egypt I have called my son. Jesus, the birth of Jesus, is put in resemblance with the birth of the first Redeemer, of the first Exodus. But finally, and the most amazing parallelism that I found, actually, in the way the story of the the second Redeemer resembles the story of the first Redeemer, is this. In the birth narratives of Jesus, Joseph is struggling to stay involved in the story. And it is, actually, he wanted to have nothing to do with the story. Remember? And actually, if we put all the stories of the birth narrative of Jesus together, and you count up the emphasis given to the father and to the mother, it is a stunning picture that the birth narratives are focusing their effort, their energy, their emphasis on the mother. You read Luke's Gospel, and all you read about is the mothers. There are two mothers in Luke's Gospel, by the way, Mary and Elizabeth. They sort of rule the the land, the scenery of the birth narratives. Why is it? Why is it that in the story of the second redeemer, a mother receives the main attention, the spotlight? Not too much on the father. Not too much on the man. And Not to put men down today. I, I I'm a man too here. But why is it that in the, in the story of redemption, both in the first redemption and in the second redemption, the emphasis is put on women and specifically on mothers? Could it be, could it be that God in His plan to redeem His people, He arranged for women to take a front stage in the story of redemption for one purpose, to reverse the story of Eden. Remember how in the Garden of Eden, the curse came through the disobedience of a woman? And could it be that when God arranges a story of redemption, He arranges the details in such a way that He is bringing the woman to the spotlight to be the one who has a crucial role to mediate for us, the one who will redeem us? And both in the story of Exodus. When, when, when the father of Moses it gives, gets just one verse, one, one little attention at, at the beginning, and the rest of the story unfolds with women playing the main role. And then in the story of Jesus, Joseph, Joseph being unsure and unwilling to play the story, and Mary really getting the main attention of the story, that Jesus is saying he is bringing back the role of, of women in the story of redemption. He's be, giving motherhood an honor that fathers don't have. Mothers are used by God as being the means and the medium through which God is bringing to us the Redeemer, the one who will save us out of slavery. Fa- mothers and fathers, parents, dear friends, no matter who you are today here, whether you're mother or father or, or child, the Word of God tells us that God has chosen mothers to play a key role in the story of redemption. So what are the implications for us? What are the implications for mothers? We look today at the role of mothers in the story of God's redemptive story. We looked at two mothers at the beginning of the Exodus story who played such a crucial role in preserving the life of one who eventually redeemed Israel from bondage. Both mothers played a crucial role, yet we left something out. We left something out. There came a time in Moses' life when he chose to disassociate himself from his adoptive mother. But it was not because his mother was adopted, was adoptive. The text tells us that Pharaoh's daughter, this adoptive mother, has done a lot for Moses. Acts 7:22. Gives us a picture. Moses was trained in all the wisdom of of the Egyptians. He was powerful in his word and in his deed. Here's a mother who made sure that her son is taken care of. That her son is prepared for life. Here's a mother who made sure that her son is prepared for success. The best education of the empire. The best training. The best skill set. So when this child will grow up, he will have all he needs to live a powerful life what mother would not want that from, for their children and yet Hebrews 11 24 and 25 tells us that when Moses grew up he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin, sin's fleeting pleasure. Why did Moses reject one of his two mothers, and especially the one who did so much for him to set him up for success? you know why? <coughs> Hebrews 11:24, the beginning of that verse says, because of faith. You see, there's something that, that the adoptive mother, Pharaoh's daughter, could not give pharaoh even though she gave him so much to prepare him for success there's one thing she could not give pharaoh and that was not give moses and that was the knowledge of god one thing pharaoh's daughter could not lead moses to it was she could not lead him to faith in god and when moses grew up it was that faith by faith that the pharaoh's daughter was not able to give him that persuaded him to disassociate himself from this mother, to reject everything that this mother has given him here's a question, who gave him that faith? Yokebed. and here's the one major implications for Christian mothers today mothers the greatest influence you have in the story of redemption Is to introduce your children to the Redeemer. You might say, "Well, I'm not Yokebed and I'm not Mary." God used those two women in a special way, but who am I? You are a mother, and God has given you a role and an influence, a great influence, to introduce your children to the Redeemer. That job is not the job of the church. It's not the job of the pastor. It's not the job of a Sunday school teacher. That job is is a responsibility of mothers. One proverb, I tried to find out who the source is, one proverb said that an ounce of mother is more important than a pound of clergy. Mothers, the greatest role God has given you is not only that God had honored motherhood by using motherhood to be the means through which the Redeemer comes to our world. But God has given mothers a great responsibility, a great opportunity to be the ones who introduce children to the Redeemer. And if you're here today, you might say, well, hold on. My, my children are already grown up. I already have grandchildren. I, it's too late for me to do that. I may have done it already, or I may have missed the boat. Is there any hope? Or if I've done it already, what's next for me? Does this sermon not apply to me? Is this sermon only for young mothers? No, it is not. No matter what stage of life you're in as a mother, whether you have children and, or, and also grandchildren, you're always in a position to lead your children and grandchildren to the Redeemer. You're always in a position when they can look up to you, when they can see you, and they want to see a mother of faith, a mother of wisdom. It's no accident that the entire Scripture has one chapter, one major chapter given to the woman of wisdom. The woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. That's how the book of Proverbs ends. Charm is deceptive and beauty is, is fleeting but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I pray that the mothers of Park Hills Baptist Church would be such mothers. Mothers of faith, mothers of wisdom, mothers who lead their children to the Redeemer. Let us pray.